0: 32 verses 1 through 8. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him great many people were gathered and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land saying why should the kings of assyria come and find much water he set to work resolutely and built up built up all the wall that was broken down and raised the towers upon it and outside it he built another wall and he strengthened the millow in the city of david he also made weapons and shields in abundance and he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them saying be strong and and courageous do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him for there are more with us than with him with him is an arm of flesh but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles and the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah king of Judah. Maybe see it.
1: Good morning. good morning. So good to be together this morning, isn't it? Appreciate the time we've been able to spend in worship. And look forward to this time of Bible study that we're going to be able to have together. If you're not already there from our scripture reading, then why don't you turn with me to Second Chronicles? First and second Kings, then first and second Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter thirty-two verses 1 through 8. 2nd Chronicles chapter 32 looking at the text that was just read for us verses 1 through 8. Coming off of the 20th anniversary of 9/11 yesterday it made me think about another event that took place in America's history. It took place on December 7th of 1941. Maybe several of us in here this morning are familiar with what took place on that day. The president of the time, Franklin Roosevelt, called it a date which will live in infamy. During the heat of World War II, just before 8 a.m., the enemy invaded. Just before 8 o'clock in the morning, hundreds of Japanese fighter planes descended on an, an American naval base just right outside of Honolulu, Hawaii. America didn't expect the attack. America was unprepared for the attack, and it caused a lot of devastation at Pearl Harbor. About 20 American naval vessels were completely destroyed. About 300 American airplanes were destroyed, but... Even worse than that, 2,400 Americans died in that attack, and another 1,000 Americans were injured. The enemy invaded, and America was left asking the question, how should we respond? What should we do next? How should we respond? What should we do now that the enemy has invaded our land? Remember, this month we're looking at a series of lessons through the life of King Hezekiah, the thirteenth king of the Southern Kingdom of Judah, when you look in Second Chronicles chapter 32 and verse one, notice that Hezekiah, the nation of a Judah, was invaded by the enemy. The Bible says, "After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them." himself. At this time, Assyria was the leading world power. They had the most powerful army, they conquered most of the land, they had the most numerous army. If you go to a parallel account of this in 2nd Kings, you find that this took place about 14 years into King Hezekiah's reign, 20 years prior to this, the nation of Assyria had taken the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity. And now you fast forward 20 years, 14 years into Hezekiah's reign. It's about 701 B.C. They're threatening to do the very same thing to the southern kingdom of Judah. The Bible says that the king, Sennacherib, the Assyrian army, came and encamped against Judah's fortified cities. Assyria wanted to take all that Judah had. He wanted to win. He wanted to claim those cities for himself just like an enemy invaded America on December 7th of 1941, or just like an enemy invaded America on September 11th of 2001, or just like an enemy invaded Judah in 701 B.C., 14 years into Hezekiah's reign as Christians, we have an enemy who wants to invade us. We have an enemy who wants to completely invade our lives. Do we ever take the time to think about that? Do we ever take the time to realize that as we're going throughout the week, as we live on a day to day basis, that we have an enemy? I read a story about a man who was being interviewed on his 100th birthday. The reporter asked him, what are you most proud of in your life? What, what, what are you most proud of about these 100 years that you've lived on earth? He thought for just a second. He said, well, I guess I'm most proud of the fact that I don't have an enemy in this world. The reporter was pretty amazed. He was astonished by that. You mean that you've lived 100 years and you don't have one single enemy? How did you do that? How did you live a life where you don't have any enemies right now? The 100 year old man kind of got a smirk on his face and said, I outlived every last one of them. As Christians, we have an enemy, and it's an enemy that we can't outlive. As long as we decide to follow Jesus, this is going to be an enemy that we're waging war against. This is an enemy that we can't ignore. This is an enemy that we cannot neglect. This is not an enemy that we can underestimate. Who is that enemy? When you go over to the book of 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, Your adversary, or another word for that, your enemy, who is it? The devil. As Christians, our enemy is not another person. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not a politician on the other side of the aisle. Our enemy is not someone who cut us off in traffic last week. Our enemy is not somebody that we have negative feelings towards or someone who has done something negative to us in the past. As Christians, our number one enemy is the devil. Our enemy is Satan. We have an enemy. But we can't stop right there. We can't put the period right there. We can't end the conversation right there. We have an enemy who wants to invade us. Who wants to completely invade our lives. When you keep reading in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. We have an enemy who wants to completely invade our lives. He wants to take everything that we have. Just like King sinacherib brought his Assyrian army into the nation of Judah, he wanted to win those fortified cities for himself. Satan wants to win us for himself. He wants to separate us from God. He wants to destroy our relationships with God. Satan, the devil, our enemy, wants to claim our souls for Him. He wants us not to spend an eternity with God, but to spend an eternity with Him. So what does He do? He's like a lion. With great stealth, He prowls around. With great strength and power, He roars. And He uses that strength. He uses that stealth. He uses that power to try to devour us. We have an enemy who wants to completely invade our lives. So the question is, what should we do whenever he does? How should we respond? What should we do whenever the enemy invades? Well, looking at this text. The text in front of us, the text that was just read for us, in Second Chronicles 32, what did King Hezekiah do whenever the enemy invaded? Whenever the Assyrians invaded the nation of Judah? Number one, when the enemy invades, we have to see it. That's the first thing that the text says about Hezekiah, that when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities thinking to win them for himself. Notice verse 2, when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he went on to do various things. But before he did those things, he first had to see it. He had to realize what his enemy was doing. King Hezekiah not only saw the enemy's actions, he also saw the enemy's intentions. Of course Hezekiah saw that the nation of Assyria was advancing on them. He saw their camps against the fortified cities, but he also saw the, the enemy's intention. What was the enemy wanting to do? He was wanting to win those fortified cities for himself. In verse 2, he was intending to fight against the city of Jerusalem. He saw, he realized what the enemy was doing, and because he saw it, he was able to act. He was able to respond. If King Hezekiah wouldn't have saw what Assyria was doing, or if he would have ignored what the enemy was doing, they wouldn't have just been invaded. They would have been completely destroyed. When the enemy invades, number one, we have to see it. We have to realize, we have to see what our enemy is doing. I don't know how many of you have seen this video on YouTube, on the internet. If you haven't, you need to look it up. It's pretty neat. Well, you might not want to look it up because I think I might be about to ruin it for you. Sorry for that. But it's called the selective attention test. Whenever you start watching this video, in, in the first few seconds of the video, it gives you an instruction. Pretty simple. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. Okay, that's what I'm going to be focused on. So the video begins. And there are three players in white passing a basketball. And there are three players in, ba- in black passing a basketball. Back and forth, they're circling around one another. About 10 to 15 seconds into the video... A man wearing a gorilla suit steps right in the middle of the scene. Right in the middle of of these players passing the basketball. He beats his chest like a gorilla would, and then walks out the other side. Okay? That was a little bit weird. The people keep passing the basketball for another 10 or 15 seconds when the scene ends this question pops up on the screen how many passes did you count well anybody should be able to answer that right anybody should be able to say I counted the white team passing the basketball 15 times if you said that then you're correct the question is did you see the gorilla this is a selective attention test And the results of this test say that only about 50% of people who watched the video for the first time saw the gorilla, noticed the gorilla walking in, beating his chest, and then walking off. When you just look at it from pictures, how could anybody miss that? It's the most obvious part of the video, isn't it? A person walking in in a gorilla suit, standing in the middle, beating his chest, then walking off. How could you miss... The most obvious part of the video. Well, the thing is, we become so focused on counting how many times the basketball is passed back and forth that half of all people, including myself, who watched this video for the first time, didn't even realize there was a gorilla in it. Didn't even see it at all because we became so focused on counting the number of passes. And the problem with us as Christians is that we don't just do that with videos. Sometimes we do that in our lives. And even worse, sometimes we do that with the enemy. We get so caught up in counting the number of passes between players that we miss the most obvious part of the video. We miss the man wearing the gorilla costume. We get so caught up in our lives. We get so caught up in what's going on at work or what's going on at school, what's going on at home, that we miss what the enemy is doing. We don't even see, we don't even realize how we've allowed Satan to creep into our lives. We get so caught up in what's going on in the news, what's going on around in the world, what's happening in our community, that we don't even notice how far we've drifted away from God until we look up and we can't see Him anymore. When the enemy invades, we first have to see it. We have to realize it. We have to see our enemy's actions, what he's trying to do to us with his strength and stealth and power. We have to see his intentions. His intentions aren't good. He is seeking someone to completely devour If we don't see what our enemy is doing, if that's something we choose to ignore, if it's something that we're not realizing on a daily basis, then he's going to end up getting exactly what he wants. Not just invading us, but completely destroying us spiritually. In order for us to do anything else against the enemy, we first have to see it. Number two, when the enemy invades, we have to stand together. When Hezekiah saw in verse 2 what the enemy was doing, he saw the enemy's actions and intentions. Notice the Bible says in verse 3 that he planned with his officers and his mighty men. Notice what Hezekiah didn't do. He didn't go into the palace and shut and lock the door and say, I'm the king, I'm the one who has to deal with this. I'm the one who has to give the situation, so I'm not going to burden anybody else. I'm just going to do it by myself. No, he came together with his officers. He came together with his mighty men, and the Bible says at the end of verse 3 that they helped him. As the enemy invaded, Hezekiah came together with some other leaders, and they helped him when it came to making plans for how they should respond to the enemy, how they should respond to this invasion, how they should respond to the attack, when the enemy invades, we have to stand together. Think about it like this. If I were to walk up to you right now and give you that skinny little stick, do you think you could break it? I'm a cross-country runner, okay? I can count the number of times on my hands that I've been in the weight room. But if you were to hand me that stick, I think I could pretty easily take it and break it over my knee, couldn't you? Okay, now think about it like this. What if we were to take that little stick and put it right in the middle of that big pile of sticks? Now what you have to do is walk over to that pile of sticks, pick them all up, and break them to where you break the skinny stick in the middle. Think you could do it then? might be really easy to break that one little skinny stick to take it and break it over your knee, but we're going to have a lot harder time. It might even be impossible to pick up the big pile of sticks and break it that you break every one of them and reach the one in the middle. The same is true with us as Christians. When the enemy invades, we have to stand together. If we're trying to fight against the enemy alone, If we're trying to fight against the enemy separated from our Christian family, separated from our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's going to be so much easier for Satan to pick you up, take you over his knee, and snap you in half. But what happens when we stand together? What happens when we stand hand in hand against the enemy? Just like taking that skinny stick and putting it in the midst of the pile It's going to be a whole lot harder, if not impossible, for Satan to break us if we stand together. As Christians, we are a lot stronger together than we are when we're apart. We're the strongest whenever we're standing hand in hand, following one Lord, intent on one purpose, standing against our enemy. It requires you to be plugged in. It requires you to be an active part of the family here at Seven Oaks, the congregation here at Seven Oaks. When the enemy invades, we have to stand together. We have to realize we can't do it all on our own. We can't do it all by ourselves, but we need each other to lean on when the enemy attacks. Number three, when the enemy invades, we have to make plans. Why did King Hezekiah come together with his officers? Why did He come together with the mighty men in verse 3? Well, the Bible says in verse 3 that He came together with them to make plans. They planned what they were going to do in response to this attack. They didn't just go out and fight without taking some time to think about it. They didn't go out running in all kinds of different directions in a panic, not sure what they were going to do. No, they came together so that they could think about it. So that they could walk through this situation and say, okay, what is the best way for us to respond to this? What is the best way for us to fight against the enemy that's invading? They came together to make plans. When the enemy invades, we have to make plans plans we have to think about it we have to be intentional it's kind of like another story that i heard about a young boy his father ordered him never go swim in the canal next to our house again never do it again i I never want to catch you in that canal little boy said yes sir I'll, i'll never swim in that canal again well fast forward a few days you know how this goes don't you he walks into the house one night with a wet swimsuit in his hand. The father had his suspicions. Son, where have you been? He didn't lie. I've been swimming in the canal. Didn't I tell you not to swim there? Yes, sir, you you told me not to swim there. Well, why did you? Well, I was together with my friends and We were down by the canal, and I just so happened to have my swim trunks with me, and the temptation was too great, I just had to go swimming. With that explanation, the father had a lot of questions. The first one that came out of his mind was, well, why would you take your swim trunks? If you were going to be with your friends close to the canal... He said, well, I thought the temptation would just be too strong. I I brought along my swim trunks so that if we did go to the canal, if I was with my friends, then we could swim together. This little boy knew what it was like to make plans. Those plans just went in the wrong direction. He made plans to do what he wanted to do, to swim in the canal with his friends, taking his swim trunks with him. He made plans to do what he wanted to do, Instead of making plans to do what his father instructed him to do. How often do we do that? Whenever we encounter temptation. Whenever the enemy invades. Sometimes we make plans. But they're plans that go in the wrong direction. Plans that center on what I want to do. Plans that center on what the enemy wants me to do instead of making plans to do what the Father has commanded us to do. Instead of making plans to go in the wrong direction, we need to start making plans that go in the right direction. We need to think about this. We need to be intentional. We need to run situations through our mind. Okay, if Satan tempts me with this, then what am I going to do? If I'm going throughout my day and Satan throws this in my path, how am I going to respond? Or maybe it looks like this. If I find myself in this kind of situation, I know myself. And I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to think. So how can I stay away from being in that kind of situation? What kind of plans can I make to distance myself from that? When the enemy invades, we have to think We have to make plans. We can't just go out and fight without taking the opportunity to think about it. We can't run in all kinds of different directions in a panic, not really knowing what to do. When we see the enemy invading, when we decide to stand together, we need to think. We need to make some plans to say, okay, if the enemy does this, then here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to respond. Here's how I can stay away from this temptation because I know myself. I know that I'll fall right into it. Instead of making plans to do what our enemy wants us to do, oftentimes the same thing is what we want to do. We need to make plans to do what our Father has commanded us to do. And then number four, when the enemy invades, we have to work resolutely. Hezekiah came together with his... Officials and his officers and his mighty men in verse 3 to make plans. And then notice what he did in verse 5. Those plans didn't just stay on the wall. The Bible says Hezekiah set to work resolutely. It took some effort, it took some elbow grease. Where well, you look at what all he did in verses 4 through 6 in order to be victorious over the enemy. I think Hezekiah did everything he could to be victorious over the Assyrians. In verse 4, he dammed up the water, thinking that might slow their approach to the city of Jerusalem. In verse 5, he worked on his defenses. He repaired parts of the wall that were broken, built up towers on the wall. The Bible says at the end of the verse that he made weapons and shields in abundance. He built another wall in front of the one that they already had to serve as another defensive layer. And then in verse 6, in desperation, I think, he militarizes the entire city of Jerusalem. And he divides them up and sets commanders over them. He gets them in one place and wants to encourage them. He wants to say encouraging words to them. We'll talk about those words in verses 7 and 8 in just a moment. When the enemy invaded, Hezekiah didn't just sit back and do nothing. When the enemy invaded... Hezekiah didn't sit behind a locked door saying God's going to do this. God's got this. God's going to work on our behalf. No, God expected Hezekiah to do something too. God expected Hezekiah to work resolutely to carry out the plans that he's made and to do everything that he could to be victorious over the Assyrians. When the enemy invades, we have to work resolutely. It takes some effort. It takes some elbow grease. It's kind of like a, another story I heard from a, a historian named Shelby Foote. She was describing the Battle of Shiloh in West Tennessee during the Civil War, that when the battle got really fierce, there was a soldier on the Confederate side who got really injured. So his commander told him, go to the back. You don't need to be up here in the front anymore. Go into the back, you're injured, and that's where I want you to stay. He obeyed his commander's orders. He went to the back. But then in about ten minutes, he was back up in the front, standing next to his commander. His commander said, what in the world are you doing here? I thought I told you to stay in the back. I thought I told you to go to the rear. The soldier said, give me a gun. This fight is so fierce, it ain't got no rear. It doesn't have a back. Guess what? This fight doesn't have a back either. Every day we are involved in the fight of our lives. The fight is fierce. The fight is constantly ongoing. And so whenever the enemy invades, we have to work resolutely. We can't just sit back and do nothing. We can't sit behind a locked door saying, well, God's going to do everything for me. God's going to save me from this. No, God expects us to do some things to carry out the plans that we've made to do everything that we can possibly do to be victorious over the enemy. And then finally, number five, when the enemy invades, we have to be dependent on God. Hezekiah called all the people together at the gate of the city in verse 6. And he wanted to speak encouragingly to them. But when you look at verse 7, what Hezekiah says doesn't really make any sense. If I would have heard that in verse 7, I wouldn't have been encouraged. Look at what he says. Be strong and courageous. Remember what God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Here Hezekiah echoes that to the city of Jerusalem. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that's with him. Why? For there are more with us than there are with him. You know how the people of Jerusalem would have responded to that when they first heard it? Hezekiah, have you lost your mind? Have you forgotten how to count? Have you forgotten who our enemy is? We're talking about the nation of Assyria. We're talking about the leading world power at the time. We're talking about The most powerful and numerous army in the world. How do you think they got to be the leading world power? It was because of their powerful and numerous army. And now, Hezekiah, out of desperation, is militarizing the entire city of Jerusalem because they didn't have enough people. And he looks at them and says, Hey, be courageous. Don't be afraid of the king or all the people that are with him because we have more with us than they have with him. Are you out of your mind? Have you forgotten how to count? You think we have more soldiers than they do? What Hezekiah says in verse 8 clarifies what he says in verse 7. He says, With them is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Hezekiah didn't want the people of Judah to look out at the armies the army of Judah versus the army of the Assyrians. He didn't want them to think about how much more powerful the Assyrians were or how many more soldiers they had. Hezekiah wanted the people of Judah to look up to the Lord their God. Hezekiah, how do we have more with us than they have with them? Oh, let me tell you, with them is an arm of flesh. They just have people. But look at what we have. We have the Lord our God. We have the Creator of all things. What's He going to do? He's going to help us and He is going to fight our battles. This is a call from Hezekiah to trust in the Lord. As they see the enemy invading, this is Hezekiah calling on his people to be dependent on the One who created everything. When the enemy invades, we have to be dependent on God. But don't forget the rest of what we've said. When the enemy invades, we have to see it. We have to stand together. We have to make plans. We have to work resolutely. We have to do everything that we can, everything within our power, to be victorious over the enemy. But ultimately, when the enemy invades, we have to depend on God. We have to trust in Him. It's amazing that Paul realized the same thing that Hezekiah realized. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, Paul asked two questions. Question number one, what then shall we say to these things? What do we say to those things? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Paul realized what Hezekiah realized. That if we stand with God, we're automatically in the majority. God is the one who tips the balance. If we stand with God, we automatically have more than what the enemy has. If we stand with God, then ultimately we'll be victorious over the enemy. Hezekiah realized it. Paul realized it. You know, God has already claimed victory over our enemy. Oh, our our enemy is powerful. He's strong and we don't need to underestimate him. But God has already claimed victory over our enemy through the cross of his Son and our Lord, Jesus Christ. So when we stand with him, when he's the one who's on our side, it really doesn't matter who stands in front of us. Really doesn't matter what the enemy does. Doesn't really matter what kind of attempts He makes to pull us away from God, it doesn't matter what kind of pain we go through. It doesn't matter what kind of hurt we have. It doesn't matter what lies in our path. What does matter is who's on our side. We automatically have more than the enemy because the Lord, our God, the Creator of all things is going to help us. He is going to fight our battles, so we have to learn to trust in Him. We have to learn to be dependent on God. We have an enemy who wants to invade our lives. So, what should we do when he does? Here are five ideas from this text that I think can help us. First, we have to see it. Are you watching? Are your eyes open? Are you seeing the enemy's actions? Are you seeing his intentions in your life? Or is it something you don't really think about? Is it something that you're ignoring? We have to stand together. Are you plugged into this church family? Are you an active part of this church family? Or is it something where you kind of have one foot in and one foot out? Is it something where you worship on Sundays, maybe even worship on Wednesdays, but it's not really a part of who you are when it comes to your mind, when it comes to your heart? Are you plugged in? Are you standing hand in hand with your brothers and sisters? Or is there some distance there? We have to make plans. Are you thinking about this? Are you working through this in your mind? Or have you become complacent? Where what the enemy does, he'll do, and and I'll just respond to that on the fly. We have to work resolutely. Are you doing, can you honestly say right now, that you're doing everything that you can to be victorious over Satan? Or have you allowed him to get a few on you? Have you allowed Him to pin you down? To create some separation between you and God? Ultimately, we have to be dependent on God. Do you trust Him? Do you trust that He's the one who tips the balance? Do you trust? Are you willing to be dependent on the fact that He'll help you and He'll fight your battles? Or are you trying to do it all on your own? Are you trying to put down the shoulder and and push through those walls that have been set up in front of you? if you feel like you're losing this battle, God has already won the war. And so if you need prayers from your brothers and sisters, if you'd like for us to study the Bible with you, maybe you'd like to be baptized into Jesus today, we'd love to help you in any way that we can. Our enemy is strong, but our God is much stronger. Would you be connected to Him this morning as we stand and as we sing?